Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager, joined in the studio today with Robin Reinecke. She is the co-founder and executive director of the Colibri Center for Human Rights. Uh, she's also a doctoral candidate in the School of Anthropology at the University of Arizona. Tell us more about the Colibri Center. Uh, the Colibri Center for Human Rights, um, I co-founded this summer with my friend William Masson. We're very excited. It's a new uh, startup nonprofit built from the existing Missing Migrant Project, which was sort of an informal project at the medical examiner's office that I worked on with uh, the forensic anthropologist, Dr. Bruce Anderson. Um, and basically, what what happened to, to result in, in Colibri is we realized that the families of the missing really weren't getting um, the assistance that they needed um, to find their missing loved ones among unidentified remains found in the U.S.-Mexico border region. Um, and that's a complicated problem, but um, we saw a service gap. And basically, through a lot of learning over the past eight years, I've discovered that we really need an independent effort to address that gap in terms of the missing and the unidentified. What do you mean by an independent organization? Well, Colibri is non-governmental. It's a nonprofit. Um, we're in the startup phase, so we don't yet have our 501c3 status, but we, we filed and we're really excited um, to get there. But we are, we are independent, so um, when families call us to report a missing person last seen crossing the U.S.-Mexico border, we can guarantee them that their data is protected and private. And we use that data um, to compare to government databases um, regarding unidentified remains, but we can really kind of operate as advocates and really w work for their benefit and not have kind of tugging interests in, in other directions. What do you consider the actual beginning of the Colibri Center? The actual beginning of the Colibri Center would be this summer, but I started the Missing Migrant Project with Dr. Bruce Anderson back in, I would say, in 2006. So it was very informal, and we didn't really know, you know, that that's what was going to happen with it. But um, basically, I moved out to Tucson from um, Philadelphia, where I had finished um, college, and I was looking for a graduate program in anthropology where I could learn about and, and research forensic anthropology together with cultural anthropology, which is actually really an unusual kind of couple of things to combine. In anthropology, there's like four sub-disciplines. You know, there's cultural, archaeology, linguistic, and physical anthropology. So uh, forensic anthropology falls under physical anthropology. Um, and there's not a lot of... Um, there's not a, there is now better collaboration between cultural anthropologists and forensic anthropologists, but at the time, um, when I was looking for a graduate program, there weren't very many programs that really brought those two things together. And I was very interested in human identification and the ways that forensic anthropologists become incredibly useful and important in post-conflict or post-disaster situations where you have a high number of missing persons, a high number of unidentified remains, you have families that are desperate for answers, you might have perpetrators and victims, you might have police, the state might be involved. And oftentimes the science that forensic anthropologists can bring to that setting really influences and often establishes or limits the narrative. So I came out here in 2006 to work with Dr. Bruce Anderson and to uh, 
start my graduate work at the University of Arizona School of Anthropology because I sensed that um, because Bruce was here at a medical examiner's office, he's an adjunct faculty member in the department, that I would be able to kind of bridge that gap in studies, you know, myself with the right people on my committee. So when I showed up, uh, Bruce basically handed me a large stack of missing persons reports. And, you know, for him, he was in the middle of a disaster. Um, his caseload at the medical examiner's office for the past decade has been higher than any other forensic anthropologist in the country. So he's dealing with skeletal remains and decomposed remains, unidentified remains every single day. And at the same time, he was getting calls. The medical examiner's office here in Tucson was getting calls from families reporting missing persons. Um, these families couldn't call police because they're undocumented or they live abroad and the police wouldn't take the reports. So when I showed up being cultural rather than physical, um, Bruce and I discussed me taking over the missing and kind of helping to support the, the identification efforts in that way. So that was really the beginning. At that time, there were about 250 missing persons reports that Bruce had, primarily Bruce had noted down by hand, and he was doing this on top of his crazy caseload. So I kind of took that over and I started a database, and then I began to get data from the Mexican consulate and the Guatemalan consulate. Uh, I worked with Humane Borders and the um, Department of Geography on a, on a mapping project as a research assistant. So that kind of enabled me to stay there and keep doing the work. Um, and, and that's basically the beginning of, of what we have now, which is a database of, of missing persons last seen crossing the border that's over 1,700 um, individuals long. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Joined in the studio today with Robin Reinecke, co-founder and executive director of the Colibri Center for Human Rights. Since your work on this issue began in 2006, what kind of results have you had at putting together uh, people with uh, their missing people? Uh, that's... That's a metric that we really need to track better. Um, and that's one of the things that I think Colibri is going to help me to be able to do um, because I've been doing this very, you know, three days, two or three days a week, um, plus a lot of work from home. Um, so it's really been kind of, you know, in terms of handling the data of the missing, it's been kind of like a one person thing, and that's been incredibly overwhelming. So um, I actually feel like Colibri is kind of like a lifeboat for me. Um, to <laughs> I, We have um, several staff people now helping to take the calls and, and handle the data, and so one of our big goals is kind of tracking our success. Uh, the medical examiner's office um, has very good success rate with identifying the unidentified um, found in the desert along the border. Uh, about 65% um, to 70% are identified each year. So those that means the body is found, examined, and able to be named and sent back to the family. Um, but there's that remainder of, you know, 35% or so um, that are not getting identified each year, and that's what we're really, really focusing on. So with the identification rate at, at the Pima County Office of the Medical Examiner, um, that's about 65-70%. Um, that is enabled by a lot of collaboration. So it's the Pima, it's the scientists at the Pima County Office of the Medical Examiner, it's the consulates, 
Um, it's families calling in with two investigators directly and being, you know, being able to connect the dots that way. It's federal programs such as NamUs, which is a um, National Institute of Justice database. Um, and it's it's our work, the Colibri Center for Human Rights or the Missing Migrant Project, in terms of sitting there and taking down all the data and doing the comparison. So at this point, it's a little bit tough to kind of, you know, extract, like, who's doing which part of it. Um, but I was really happy um, to find... Uh, I was pulling uh, records a couple of weeks ago for 2013 uh, migrant deaths in Santa Cruz County, and out of 10, Colibri had um, very direct um, involvement resulting in the, in the positive identification. So it's something that we need to get on top of, but I am confident that we have a lot of influence in identifying people there. So the other the other part of of our work that's collaborative is is working with these other local nonprofit uh, organizations, whether it's immigrant rights groups or humanitarian groups that have been um, really laying the groundwork for talking about the deaths uh, on the border and, and telling people what's going on. And of course, foremost among them is Coalición de Derechos Humanos, who's been doing this work for decades. Uh, and we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing now. We wouldn't have the same language that we have now if it wasn't for their work for, for years and years in the community. Uh, they also take missing persons reports. Um, it's important that they do this work because they're so rooted in the local uh, community. Um, we take missing persons reports. The consulate takes missing persons reports. The, the um, various foreign consulates, um, journalists. So we're, what we're trying to do that I think is a little bit different is really bring all of that together in a very comprehensive database. Beyond taking the missing persons report, uh, we're working on sciences and technologies to manage that data so that those people can get identified. One of the things that I think people don't understand enough about what's happening um, here on the U.S.-Mexico border, not only is there a crisis of loss of life, which is bad enough, every single year, southern Arizona, Pima County is is examining the remains of about 160, 170 bodies every single year for more than a decade. So we're seeing a silent mass disaster every single year. It's extended over time, so it's not really appreciated that way. But I think there's another invisible crisis which has to do with the identification. So these people are not getting identified. That 40% that are not getting identified each year, I'm sorry, 35%, that adds up. So there's about 800 unidentified remains that are either buried or cremated right here in Tucson. So that's very disturbing um, to me and very disturbing to the people that work at the medical examiner's office, among many, many others in the community. And we're really working on that remainder because it's not, it's not a natural problem. Just like the deaths themselves, people crossing the border and dying, it's not a natural problem. It's a constructed problem. It's not the desert that's actually killing them. It's policy and international economics that's leading to these deaths. And the same thing goes, really, for the, un the high number of unidentified. It's not a natural thing. Sure, more uh, remains are being found that are difficult to identify. So more and more remains are being found each year that are very highly skeletal or decomposed. So that makes uh, identification efforts even more challenging. But there are sciences and technologies out there to get those sorts of people identified. And what I've found in my experience at Pima County and through my dissertation research um, is that those sciences and technologies really are not available 
uh, to this population of people. Because of the border, because of international politics, because of language and, and assumptions you know, that, that label these people as illegals or aliens, it's those si- sorts of exclusion policies that also exclude the families from being able to utilize these sciences and technologies. Here in southern Arizona, we probably know more about this crisis than most people uh, in the United States. But I think it's really important that we don't normalize it and that we don't get used to it and that it continues to bother us uh, and that we continue to speak out about it. Uh, the criminalization process um, of the undocumented in this country of the migrants crossing the border is very damaging. It's not just damaging to those that it's directed against, it's damaging to all of us. I think it's damaging spiritually, and I think it's damaging in terms of our own rights and our own self-respect as communities or as a nation. We feel very proud of our work in terms of identification. It's sad work. It can be hard to communicate to people, yeah, get behind us, you know, support us so that we can send bodies back to their families. I mean, that's just fundamentally a tough thing in terms of communicating and marketing Polibri. But I think it's something we have to talk about. Why, why have we come to this point that we have to create systems and entire systems around this um, because it's gotten so bad that there's now hundreds of people that don't have answers? So we feel very proud of our work and we feel empowered by our work because we feel that by naming the dead, we are helping the families, but we're also making a political statement that these people have had names, these people that are kind of brushed off as illegals or aliens or criminals um, had complicated lives with uh, families, with kids, um, with hopes, with problems. Um, So when we name the dead, uh, we feel that we're basically working against all of these efforts that kind of make people invisible um, during their lives. What do you say to the people who say, well, what they did was illegal, we, we can't do anything about that? I, I have empathy with those people, um, first of all. But I think that that perspective is uh, naive. Um, and, and, and it's not naive on the individual level, and I mean no disrespect to someone that believes that. I just think that the, the national discourse on this has gotten really naive. Um, we're looking at the border like it's sort of, you know, in a vacuum. We're not looking at the border in terms of, okay, why is it that people are willing to risk their lives this often? When I'm talking with family members that are reporting a missing person, they're telling me that their son or daughter called them from Altar and told them what she was wearing in case she didn't make it. They know how dangerous this is in a lot of cases, in most cases, and they're still doing it. So why aren't we asking that question? And why aren't we thinking about, okay, what happens when in society there's a law that all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of people are breaking? Shouldn't we be asking those sorts of questions? So that's kind of how I I look at it. Um, And I think the conversation needs to be broadened um, beyond the physical space of the border and that one act of transgressing a border um, to look into what are the forces propelling people um, to make that decision. So in Mexico, for instance, um, 33% of the population live in moderate poverty. Almost 10% live in extreme poverty. 
In Central American countries, it's even worse. Um, El Salvador and Honduras have had some of the very highest homicide rates in the world. Um, so these things are complex transnational problems. Um, and I, I find sometimes that um, in talking about these sorts of economic problems that sometimes I hear people say, well, well why is that our problem? That's not the United, you know, that's not our problem. Those other countries should have to deal with it. And I think it's not that simple at this point. I don't think that it's 100% the fault of the United States. We can't, you know, that's condescending to imagine that, like, every everybody's problems everywhere else have to do with, with us. It's just really um, egotistical. But um, we, have a, we have a role to play, and we've had a historical role in Central American countries, in Mexico, in terms of economics, in terms of warfare and military uh, intervention. Um, and, of course, those countries have their own unique histories um, contributing to this crisis. But none of that stuff is really being discussed on a massive scale in terms of, of change. And I, I think what's really sad for those of us uh, in this community working on these issues is seeing time and time again the same, the same types of policies be put forward as a solution, which, again, are border-centric um, and by that, I mean they focus on the border and they're not, they're not looking at broader push and pull factors. And yet they don't listen to the voices of the people living on the border. So the, the types of security policies that we see, um, you know, being discussed in 2013 are unfortunately very similar to the ones that um, were discussed in, in the mid to late 90s that really resulted in the very high death rate that we have now in Arizona. You're listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Joined in the studio today with Robin Reinecke, co-founder and executive director of the Colibri Center for Human Rights. One of the things that we're the most excited about at Colibri um, is our collaborations um, with uh, local entities as well as national entities. Um, locally, we are working with... Um, very closely with the University of Arizona, and there's a couple of projects that I'm really excited about right now. Um, we have an, an honors college class taught by uh, Dr. Victor Breitberg um, at the honors college. That uh, it's a it's a learning action course. Um, so the students um, have an internship with Colibri, where they spend three or four hours with us on the missing migrant project, um, doing data entry and looking for matches between missing and unidentified. And then Dr. Breitberg takes them um, for the other part of their, their course, which is uh, reading and doing research about human rights and the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, the students are brilliant, and um, I've learned a lot from them. Um, we actually worked with five of the students last semester, and they're staying on for this semester uh, with the addition of some new students. Um, and actually, a couple of them made a match last semester, so they were looking through the data and they were able to locate a, a probable match, which now um, is a positive identification between a missing person and an unidentified person. So they really add a lot of value um, to our work. And um, Dr. Breitberg and his students are right now um, absolutely crucial for us um, because we're dealing with so much data and so much work. Um, and we have one special student, uh, Reina Araibi, uh, who's at the Honors College. And she's worked with us since uh, early this past summer. Um, so she's really kind of seen us through founding Colibri and the first uh, if 
efforts to do an internship, which were somewhat dysfunctional, um, through through where we are now, where we feel a little bit more organized. And Reina is very talented, um, a very good writer and researcher, and she's working with um, Colibri and with uh, Injected Media, uh, which is the local um, company that uh, supports um, technology and research uh, companies in their marketing and outreach. So they're they're also incredibly um, important for us in terms of a in terms of a collaboration locally. And then nationally, um, we have some very important friends and allies, um, such as the Washington Office on Latin America and the Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team. Um, and we work with them very, very closely in terms of research and with the latter in terms of identification. The Argentine Forensic Anthropology Team is a world-renowned um, human rights forensic team. So they're known for their work, for instance, exhuming mass graves in El Salvador. So as an anthropology undergrad, back when I was in college, I would read about their work and just kind of be awestruck by what they were able to do and, and how they talked about the human rights violations happening in places like El Salvador. And now it's it's really amazing because they're, they're turning to the U.S.-Mexico border um, and they're identifying people uh, very regularly. They're working primarily in Central America, um, and they're they're a phenomenal um, ally for our work. But of course, the the most important um, local collaboration is that that of the Pima County Office of the Medical Examiner. So we, our office is actually within the Pima County Medical Examiner's office, um, and now we have a secondary office within uh, Injected Media's office. So we're very, we have a, a small amount of funding this first year, so we're kind of rubbing pennies together and doing the best that we can, but our um, collaborators are really making, making it possible for us. What are some of the future goals for the Colibri Center for Human Rights? Well, we're, we're very excited, and um, I, my co-founder, William, keeps saying, crawl, walk, run, because uh, I get very excited to try to do everything at once. But um, we're going to be putting out a report uh, this summer, um, the first um, count of missing migrants along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, we have very limited numbers available to us, um, very limited data about the dead, and there's really been no comprehensive count of the missing. So I think that's an important um, contribution to understanding uh, the crisis. Uh, we're also working with a number of um, artists and storytellers. Um, right now, primary among them is director Mark Silver, whose film, Who is Diane Cristal, will be coming out in April. The distributor is Kino Lorber, and it should come to Tucson. Um, and we're planning, actually, to host a, a screening here um, at The Loft, ideally. So that's a big, that's a big goal this year. Uh, so we're very excited about the release of that film. It's a, it's a beautiful film that tells the story of a man who died in the Sonoran Desert and was identified at the Pima County office. And it tells the story of his family and basically what they went through and what um, what happened to get him identified. Um, so that stars Gael Garcia Bernal. Um, and Mark Silver is a very, very, very talented and very smart um, director. Uh, and we're also working with a couple of other um, photographers and artists. Um, so we're looking at uh, hopefully a, a gallery exhibit soon, um, kind of representing the issue through that lens. Um, and then the the biggest thing that we want to focus on next year is our database and really getting the database of the of the missing migrant project um, to be complete and comprehensive and relational. So we're trying to build a database that um, automatically predicts 
matches because right now it's very hard to do that work um, kind of by hand. Um, we have a couple of other database tools like NamUs, um, the, the NIJ uh, database that, that help us, but we really need a database devoted to this issue. Uh, so we're very excited um, to be working toward that goal. Uh, and then the, the big other big thing is uh, basically establishing a research program. So um, I have a lot of research questions. Um, with my dissertation research, I sort of stumbled into something where um, there, there wasn't a lot of existing research on, on a lot of the things that I was observing. I mean, not even basic numbers about the unidentified and the dead, let alone kind of some of the more complicated um, things that things at play um, socially um, and, and um, geog geographically, for instance. So we have a lot of research questions that we're going to be um, focusing on in, in the years to come, hopefully with a, a research program at a university, but we don't know where, where that is yet. We're very excited to uh, work with the local community, um, especially students or others that are interested in getting involved. Uh, and the best way to do that is right now through our Facebook page. Uh, you can just search Colibri Center for Human Rights. That's C-O-L-I-B-R-I, -I, Center for Human Rights. And our Facebook is, is under that title. And then our website is www.colibricenter.org. And please um, send us an email if you're interested um, in getting involved in some manner. Um, but right now, given how busy we are, the, the best way would probably be to follow us on Facebook. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today has been Robin Reinecke, co-founder and executive director of the Colibri Center for Human Rights.